Good morning. I want to say I'm so excited to be in the part two of this series that we're doing. It is a little bit like there are certain subjects that you go into with fear and trepidation. And in this series, we are touching on a couple of them. I mean, this whole series on marriage is one of those ones where the moment you start teaching on it, the moment you start going, oh, do I have to live that out now? But it is really important, and I want to say, I'm so excited to be doing it. I'm so excited that Todd was able to get us started last week as he began to deal with the expectations that we deal with in marriage. One of the greatest rom-com movies of all time, let's see, who has a favorite? What? I didn't hear anything. What was it, Princess? Okay, well, that's not the one I was thinking of. Usually when I think about my favorite all-time rom-com movie that I get forced, I mean, that I lovingly sit and watch with my wife, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, and You've Got Mail. Isn't that a nice, feel-good movie? For all of you ladies out there, you know what I'm talking about. This is one of those movies that you can sit down and watch time after time after time. I actually kind of, you know, don't tell anyone, but I kind of sit and I've enjoyed watching this movie with my wife. And for those of you who've never seen it, let me kind of fill you in a little bit on the story. I don't want to ruin it for you because you may want to go home and watch it. But this whole story of You've Got Mail is this wonderful story of about a young girl, and we know it to be Meg Ryan, so let's just call her Meg Ryan, okay? She's in a relationship that she's unhappy with. It's going nowhere. The guy's a bit of a airhead. You guys know. He's, he's just sort of out there, and yet she's in this relationship with him, and she's struggling. Now, to make it all just really bad is that Meg Ryan's most favored, most loved possession in the world, the bookstore that she runs, a little store down the corner or however, I can't quite remember what it's called, but a little, yeah, shop around the corner. It's about to go out of business because the big chain box bookstore is coming in down the street. And I mean, they, they've got it all. I mean, they can offer cheap books with coffee and leather plush seats to sit in and read at the same time. And during this moment of one of these major hiccups of life that she's finding herself in, she becomes friends with an anonymous person online, which if you know the movie, you know it's none other than Tom Hanks and Tom Hunk or whoever you call him. I'm not sure what is. Anyhow, she, she begins an online relationship with Tom Hanks, and, and she begins to kind of cryptically kind of let out her frustration of losing her bookstore. Now, if you have ever seen the movie, Tom Hanks gives her a piece of advice. Let's see. Can anyone remember what it is? It comes from The Godfather. If there's something you value and there's something you love, then you need to take it to the ropes. Okay, I didn't quite get that down Godfatherish, but he recommends and he advises her if you value something, take it to the ropes. In other words, if there is something that you love, if there is something that you value, you fight for it. 
You don't go down just saying, oh, well, it's all, I just can't do anything. You, no, no, you go in there and you fight hard for it. Now, I'm gonna be real honest. I wouldn't recommend taking marriage advice or relieving relationship advice from this movie. It's a good movie and it's fun, but it is probably not the most advisable to take your relationship advice from. But there is something that I find really interesting, and that is sort of true. What Tom Hanks is, the things that we value, the things that we love, are worth fighting for, aren't they? I love this idea that if you truly value something, if you truly love something, you won't just let it die without a fight. And I believe one of the things that all of us would agree on, or we could all agree on, is that when it comes to our marriage when it comes to our relationships, we don't want to just see them die without a fight. We, we kind of, if we want a good, happy marriage, we kind of all kind of know that there is something we have to fight for. And sometimes in a relationship or in a marriage, that is what we have to do is we have to take it to the ropes. One of the reasons, though, we sometimes struggle with our relationships or we sometimes struggle when it comes into our marriage is that we sometimes have such a low value of our relationships before we get married and then we have a high expectation after. So when it comes to our dating, in our dating relationships and our love life, so many people have this idea that we need to have a, you know, let's not get too serious about it and and so we end up with a low value, with, but yet we have a high expectation of marriage. So, so we come into our relate, dating relationships, and you have people begin to say things like this. Well, it's a no-strings-attached relationship. What is that? Uh, trust me, if you are in a relationship, there is no such thing as a no-strings-attached relationship. Do not fall for it. Don't believe it. If someone says it, run as far and as fast as you can from that person because believe me, there are strings attached in every relationship. And if you're not going to be honest from the front, it is not going to improve as you go through it. But then you got, you, you, we get this low value relationship and, and so we have people who say, oh, it's a no strings attached. Or, or what about this? Well, you need to try before you buy. Okay, maybe that's my Australian stuff that's coming out. But there's this really big, from, from where we came from, where it said, let's just move in and live together for a while. Let, let's try it out before, you know, there's no way to know if we're compatible unless we give it a shot. Let me be real clear too. Okay, just for anyone who might thinking about dating soon you're never compatible just accept it from the start and figure out how to live without compatibility and just say how do we make this work but the idea of let's see if we're compatible because the reality is is this men and women are different we think different I've never met two guys who think the same, let alone men and women who think the same. I've never seen two women who think the same, let alone men and women who try to think the same. So when we go into a relationship with this idea that, 
well, let's just try it on first. We begin to show that we have a low value of our relationships because we, we don't really know. I've even heard this. Well, we can always get married because if it doesn't work, we can divorce. And for everyone who's ever had to go through that situation, there's no such thing as let's just get married and we can just go through divorce. Divorce is one of those things that for everyone who's ever gone through it and had to go through it, it's one of those times when someone takes your heart out and throws it on the ground and stomps on it. It is not one of those things that we just do because, well, let's give it a shot and if it doesn't work, it's all good. You see, relationships are hard. And then there comes this point that, okay, so we decide to get married. And all of a sudden, we've gone from this thing of a low-value relationship to a high expectation, such as we had a no-strings-attached relationship while we were dating, but now that we're married, if I ever catch your eyes looking anywhere else, Betty. And let me tell you, you should have those expectations. Don't let me put them down. I'm just saying we've gone from a place of saying we have a low value over here, but we have a high expectation here. And somehow the only thing that changes it is to be able to walk down an aisle and say, I do. If the values are low here, your expectations are going to be, they're going to begin to cause strife. We begin to have this idea that, uh oh, we're just, you know, you're to love me and respect me above all else. And yet, during the whole dating relationships, we've kind of, yeah, you just do what you want, I'll do what I want. And, and all of a sudden, we get these high expectations that are, should be, we know they, they should be who we are. But the reality is, is when we walk down an aisle does not change the reality of who we already are. And so if we have a low value on the front side, we cannot have a high value on the back side of it. It has to remain the same. And so we begin to find ourselves in this, this area that, of marriage and relationships that begin to struggle because we have low values and yet high expectations. And then there's those expectations that never actually get mentioned and we never saw I mean did you ever expect when you got married that someone would actually put their laundry in a laundry basket as opposed to beside it I mean if we're going to get really honest I mean let's talk about the toilet seat I mean I don't know how many arguments and fights get caused over the toilet seat is it up is it down I mean what are we doing about this you see, we have all we come into a marriage with, with all of these expectations that someone's going to do the laundry and it ain't going to be me. Who, who's going to mow the lawn? Well, I don't know how to start a lawnmower. If you know what that thing is, I, obviously you got the job. And so we find ourselves hitting into relationships and we find ourselves hitting into marriage with this idea where on the one hand it's a low value and on the other hand we've got these high expectations that nobody ever talks about but we have them. And all of a sudden we say I do and the fireworks begin to happen. 
when our expectations are not fulfilled, we begin to feel used, disrespected. When our expectations, when we've had these ideas of what marriage is supposed to be, when, when I had this idea that you would come home and take me out on a date at least once a week after we got married. I mean, you used to take me on a date whenever you could. If that was four nights a week, we'd go out and have flowers and a good time. And we begin to feel used and disrespected. Well, what am I? Am I a maid? Am I the mechanic? Am I, what, what am I? And when things don't start working out, when things begin to butt heads on each other, when we begin to feel used and we begin to feel disrespected, what happens? Well, let's just say we take Tom Hanks' advice and we take it to the ropes, don't we? We're going to fight for this. Except what we usually end up doing, instead of fighting for, we begin fighting with. When we begin to feel used, I feel like you disrespected me, we begin to go to this place where we begin to demand and talk down to our spouse or to our loved ones because they're acting like a child, so I might as well talk to them like a child. When that doesn't work, we begin to try to figure out how do we manipulate the situation? How can I manipulate? What can I say that I can get the favored outcome that I want? What do I have to do? What do I have to, to, to hold off on? What do I have to say? What do I have? I don't know. How long does it take in a marriage before we learn to manipulate our relationships? Okay, well, let's not be too honest, okay? Because I'm sure you guys have never done it. But the reality is, is when we find ourselves in a marriage where we have high expectations that are not fulfilled and we're feeling used and disrespected, uh, it starts. When we've demanded and we've manipulated and it doesn't happen, where does it go next? It doesn't, okay, I get the picture. You're not hearing me. I'll just go figure. No, no, it, it ramps up, doesn't it? Hey, I've told you I need the lawn mode. I've told you I want the dishes. I've told you to, and we just, then we do the minute. When that doesn't work, then it starts voice. Anyone know what happens when your voice gets going up a little higher? And your chest gets a little tighter and you begin to, and the blood begins to rush up here a little bit. And I'm a little bit angry. And now I begin to shout and I begin to holler because I need you to hear me and I need respect and I need to know that you are listening and you are not listening. We're taking it to the ropes. We're fighting for this, aren't we? Except we're fighting with and not for. Okay. I know there's a few people who've been married here before. What happens when, when the demand doesn't work? And what happens when the manipulation doesn't work? And what happens when the screaming and the hollering doesn't work? What's next? And if you guys say you hit, then I'm going to come out and whack you. So don't tell me that. 
Usually what happens next is we call it the silent treatment, don't we? This is like dropping the nuclear bomb here. For anyone who has been married, the silent treatment is like, this is it, bud. If you don't hear me now, you are going to, I'm in the silent treatment. And I will hold off on talking to you for as long as it takes. And trust me, buddy, I can do this a long time. Your voice is grating on me now anyhow, so don't bother talking to me either. You see, we find ourselves in these moments when disrespect and feeling used begins to this idea that I'm fighting for it, but we actually are fighting with and not for. And when all else fails, and I'm feeling used and disrespected and not heard and not listened to, sadly, when it's all said and done and it's not working, God, I must have married the wrong person. I I thought you wanted me to marry. I I felt like it was the right thing at the time, and I know you were speaking in our hearts, and God, I don't know. God, I must must have misunderstood what you were saying. I, I must have married the wrong person. So God, show me who you would have me marry. And I'll, I'll just hang in here until that rather right person comes along. And when it does, I'll be thanking you. Is there a way to be happy even after marriage? Is there something that we can do that says we do not have to get within the spiral of a relationship that goes on and down And I'm happy, and then it's like, oh. Well, yes, there is. Don't let me discourage you on marriage, because I believe marriage is one of the greatest institutions that God has ever created. God made it very clear from the beginning, it is good that men and women are not alone. And so he created us to be together for a reason. But if we're going to live happy even after, what are we going to do? How do we make it work? Well, once again, let's go back to Tom Hanks. We've got to take it to the ropes. We're going to have to fight for what we value. Not fight with, but fight for. And it is going to require that we fight hard. You see, for every rom-com movie, for every Hallmark movie that has ever been made, for every love song that has ever been sang, for every love novel that's ever been written and read, the story is predominantly the same. Todd began to deal with this last week. How do you find the girl you love, the guy you love? How do you manage to throw off all your stupidness for a few months till you can win their affection? How do you marry? 
In other words, we're told constantly and we're sold over and over again the idea of falling in love. And falling in love is wonderful. But is that it? Is that what life is about? Simply the idea of falling in love? Or is there something better than falling in love? Is the idea of being, being in love better than falling in love? And I think it is. But as a society, we've put so little value of actually being in love, a lifetime of love, that sometimes we don't even know what it looks like. We don't really even know what it feels like because every movie has been made has been made about what? What it's like to fall in love. When it's not feeling like it anymore, obviously I'm missing something. And so we go looking once again on how do I need to fall in love all over again. God, from the very beginning, gave us one simple idea that I'm going to look at. And we're going to kind of tease this out over the next few weeks. So you're going to have to bear with me. You're going to have to come back time and time again. But today, I'm going to leave you with a simple idea. And we're going to start with it. And I'm going to leave it with you. One simple thing that can help, help us live an even or a happily even after marriage when we grasp it. It starts in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And I'm going to start this from the New King James Version. So if you are online and you're used to having me put the New Living Translation up, I'm going to start this from the New King James today. Um, we read the story about how in the very beginning, God created Adam and God created Eve. And what actually happened is, is God created Adam and he said, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. And the animals came by him. And he said, Adam, do you notice something? And Adam says, yeah, it seems like all the other animals have a partner or someone to do life with. And I'm alone. And God was saying, I hope you noticed that. And so he said, I want you to go to sleep. And as Adam went to sleep, he took from his rib, he took a rib out. And now I'm going to simplify this a little bit. So don't let me, I'm not trying to make it, I'm just trying to do this real quick. And basically, he takes Adam's rib, and he makes a woman. And he says, Adam, all right. I hope you notice something. I have made you a life partner, someone to do life with. And so Adam wakes up, and you know the story. He goes on, and they... Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24... We read this from the very beginning. And this is, it is kind of an interesting thought because we read it from the very start where in Genesis 2.24, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's a really simple little idea that we are told of right here from the very beginning. And it's kind of an interesting idea because at this time, Adam and Eve didn't even have a mom and dad. It was an Adam and an Eve. And yet from this very beginning, God kind of let it very, made it very clear to them that for this reason, a man leaves his past behind and cleaves to his wife, his spouse, and they become one. Now, if this was the only time that this was mentioned, this is a powerful little statement that should be looked at very carefully because it 
helps us to begin to understand the beginning and the lastingness of relationships. Instead, Jesus takes this statement and he restates it in such a way that it gets even more powerful when we pull it back into context. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, there were a group of guys who were challenging Jesus on this idea of marriage. Marriage and divorce. Is divorce acceptable and stuff? And Jesus comes, and so in 19.6, I'm going to go back to the New Living Translation, and he says this. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said... This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Here's a little simple statement that is so complex that if we stop and we begin to grasp it, it can change our relationships. What is the permanence or, or why is marriage so important to God? That's that one little statement. They two become one. There is an idea that when you walk down an aisle and you say, I do, that you make a commitment to not just live together, not just to do chores together, not just to mop the house together and mow the lawn together and do laundry together. There was an idea that we would have two people who would dedicate their lives to doing life as one. Marriage is complicated because we talk about becoming one, but when you walk down an aisle, you have two different people with two different backgrounds, with two different thinking processes and ways I grew up and how do I spend my money and I don't know, it gets complicated. You see, this idea of becoming one is not an idea of simply sharing a house. It's not the idea that simply, hey, we move in together and share our bills now, okay? But it's the idea that when we decide to choose to do marriage together, that when we choose to do life together, we are coming together as a single unit. In other words, we're coming together as a one heart. Uh, what does that mean? Okay. When you chose to get married, when you chose to walk down an aisle and say, I do to this person that you were looking in their eyes at that moment and it all felt so right at the moment, you were saying from this time forward, I will have no other best friends of the opposite sex. And I don't know why we find this so hard to understand. But so many times I hear this, I, oh, my best friend over here, he's like a brother to me. Or, he, or she's just like a sister to me. Stop it. When you chose to walk down an aisle, when you chose to look into the eyes of that person that you were sitting here in front, you were telling God, God, we are becoming one. I am choosing to give them my heart. I'm choosing of all that I am. 
she, he will now be my very best friend for the end of all time till death do us part. You see, relationships get serious because God says when we choose to walk down an aisle and we choose to say, I do, we're choosing to become from two to one. I can't go around having other best friends that are of the opposite sex. It just doesn't work. Trust me. And if you're not ready for that kind of commitment, don't get married. There is nothing in the Bible that says we ever have to get married in the first place. Remain single. But when you choose to dedicate your heart to someone, you're choosing to say, God, we're becoming one. Same heartbeat. You see, we're not just talking about our commitment to each other. We're talking about our finances. We're going to do life together. We're going to talk about how do we do our finances? How are we going to raise our kids? Are we doing time out? Are we doing a smack on the hand? Are we doing a little smack on the body? What are we going to do? How are we going to raise our kids? What are the things that are allowed in our family and what is not allowed? There is nothing worse than when someone realizes that mom and dad aren't on the same page and they begin to go after the one and they know how to and pretty soon it becomes a zoo. You see, when we choose to walk down an aisle, and this is what the idea of marriage is, is that the two shall become one. They will have the same purpose. They will begin to have the same plan. They will begin to talk about their careers together, but the direction they want to go, what are we doing together? There's not a now a you and a me. There is now an us. How do we do life together? And it gets hard. So if we're going to make it work, if we're going to make this marriage and live happily ever after, it's going to require that we come to this thing taking it to the rope sometimes. Because when we have two different people trying to get everything on the same page, the fireworks still fly sometimes, and it's not always fun. And can I say this, and let me say this very carefully. There is nothing wrong with having a fight in a marriage to try to get things going in the same direction. As long as we are fighting for the marriage and not with each other. There is nothing wrong. In fact, one of the things that I think helped me out immensely, I think it was James Dobson who said, it's all right to fight as long as you learn to fight right. If everybody always has the same idea, someone's not needed. We have different opinions and different ideas, and it's not wrong to say, hey, we need to discuss this, and we need to figure this out. And, and, and it's not our job to simply say, oh, yes, dear, yes, dear, whatever you say. That does not work. There is no such thing as compromise in a marriage. There is, we're both winners and we're going a direction that we both agree on. Not the compromise of, okay, I give up a little and you give up a little and we'll just kind of meet in the middle. No, no, marriage has got to work when we both agree we need to go a direction and we're heading that way 
together. And so God gives us this idea. And he says, for this reason, shall a man leave his father's mother, and he shall cleave too. And that word cleave is an old-fashioned, it just means they come together. We think of a cleaver as something that chops something in half. This idea of cleave means almost to be super glued. They cleave together. They're super glued together. And they become one. Now, this is easy to say on Sunday morning. I can, I can say this all day from here. But when we go from here, and things aren't quite working out the same, and I have a different idea than you have. You see, there was a point when you thought you married the smartest person in the world, and then you walked down an aisle, and all it did was seem to prove that you were mistaken at that one and only time in your life. I was like, oh, what happened to that smart, brilliant person that I always agreed with? How do we have one heartbeat? All right. We're going to talk about this over the next couple weeks. We're going to be talking about relationships, acceptable relationships in marriage. We're going to talk about communication. And then we're going to even talk about money. Because those are some of the biggest things that hurt and divide our relationships that we have to fight with and through and for. And so I want to encourage you to come back for the next week. But for your homework for this week is simply to begin to ask certain questions. I don't really, I just kind of want this little idea. What does it mean to be one? What would it look like in my marriage if I was to be one in my marriage? What would it look like? I mean, if we were to be one in our finances, what would it look like? If we were to be one in our agreement about our vacation next, what would it look like? If I'm going to, if, if I'm going to, I got this really awesome promotion, who is the first person that I want to talk to about with it? Oh, let me call up my best friend, Sally. And if Sally's not your spouse, can I just say you made the wrong answer? Hey, I just got, I just got a pay raise. Do I hide it now or do I go home and tell my spouse? Oh, man, this is tough. Uh, wrong answer. What am I talking about? You see, this week as we begin to deal with this idea, of what does it mean, what does it look like to be one? If you want to volunteer at, at the local pet shelter, do I have to hide it from my spouse because I love kitty cats and he doesn't like kitty cats? Well, he does, but he thinks they taste like chicken and I'm not going down that route. You see, there's this certain thing that, what does it look like? What is it, if I'm to be one with my spouse, is there a direction? Is there something that, hey, is there something that we need to be fighting for? If, if the answer we know, hey, if my spouse doesn't kind of come up like, most of the time, let's say 99, okay, let's give it 99.9. If my spouse is not kind of coming up as the first person who comes to my mind when I'm sitting there saying, I got great news. I want to go on vacation. Hey, I got a, I got a, I got a bonus. Where are we going to go? And, and uh, 
if my spouse isn't coming to that point, what does it require for me to get it to that point? What would it look like if it was to be an ideal of what I know it could be? What would it look like? Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. As we're getting ready to close, I know this. There is an ideal and then I know there's a reality. I know all of us want that ideal. And I know that many of us live within a reality. Do we settle for the uh, reality or do we begin to push for the ideal? I hope that when it comes to our marriage, we're ready to take it to the ropes and to fight for the ideal. God says, in every area of your life, when you are made a commitment to that most beautiful person in the world, that most handsome man in the world, that smartest person in the world, the most intelligent, wisest, brilliant mind you've ever met, And you're to become one. Not two people just cohabiting a house, making it through. We'll get there one day. Okay. Not that time when it's time to go home. Okay. All right. Let me just, okay. That is not what we're called to. We're called to togetherness, to oneness, to love. Falling in love is great. Staying in love is better. Father, this morning, as we get ready to close, Lord, I know there is a reality that many have had to go through where marriages just don't work out, when things are out of our controls and out of our hands, and Lord, we understand that, and we're not we're not criticizing. We're simply saying, how do we strive with where we are right now to aim for a better place, a better situation? How do we work to try to stay in love? How do we fight for our relationships and not in our relationships? Father, how do we fight for what's right? Lord, help us. You gave your life for us. You died for us. You cared for us. You showed us what real love looks like. A total commitment. Father, you asked us to love our spouse the same way that you loved us. And so, Father, I pray this week as we go out, help us just to have that little question in the back of our mind. What would it look like? What could it look like? What should it look like? And Lord, if we're struggling, may we come to you seeking help and may we find hope in what you have to tell us. Thank you, Father, that you're so honest with us and you're so real with us and you talk to us about what love should look like. We just say thank you for your goodness. In your name we pray. 
Amen.